Hello and welcome to another Architecture Podcast. I'm George Bradley, architect and director of London-based studio Bradley van der Straten. In each episode, I talk to a different architect from around the world to discuss an inspiring house that they have designed. In this episode, I'm joined by Jennifer Kudlatz, founder of Canadian practice studio AC. We discuss the Shalmar residence in Toronto, designed for a family of five with a serious art collection. The practice describes the project as a house disguised as an art gallery. They took inspiration from the artists Agnes Martin and Donald Judd when designing the interiors, including a kitchen island composed of four monolithic concrete blocks. Although it appears entirely new, the house is actually a renovation of a 1950s property. The entire ground floor is open plan, with the space divided by floating walls that don't touch the perimeter and chunky columns that create a colonnade across the middle. The design results in flowing, livable spaces, flooded with ample natural light and perfect for enjoying the artworks. If you would like to find out more about Studio AC and the Shalmar Residence, you can find information on the episode page at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to uh, another architecture podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, looking forward to talking about the Shalmar um, residence, um, which is a project you've designed and based in Toronto, which is where your studio is also based. Um, is that where you do most of your work? Are you kind of Toronto through and through? We are, um, although not limited to, you know, like if yeah. anybody wants to uh, reach out <laughs> from other places. <laughs> um, but... Uh, we do most of our work in Toronto, although interestingly, I feel like in this last year that people have been um, investing a bit more in, you know, closer vacation homes. Our kind of mm. reach has expanded beyond that. And, and we have been like kind of gently chatting with uh, some past clients about potentially collaborating on work in in different parts of the U.S. and New York and L.A. Um, mm-hmm. hasn't come to fruition yet, but I... It's imminent. I'm feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> and the Shalmar residence, that's pretty central, isn't it? What's what's the area like that this house is in? It's pretty residential. It's like, it's central. Toronto's interesting because it's kind of like made up of these pockets that sort of feel like small towns. You know, we have like mm-hmm. Little Italy and Little Tibet. And um, so Shalmar is in an area called Forest Hill, which is a bit north, um, north of central. Um and it's, it's mostly residential, but what's also quite nice about specifically where that property is, is kind of sprinkled throughout Toronto are different scales of parks and belt lines. And um, Shalmer is actually right on a belt line. So in the backyard, mm-hmm. there's just like you feel almost like you're on a ravine, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. I've, I actually managed to find the house or the location on Google Earth. I always love to do that before kind of oh, chatting well. with guests. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and the area is kind they're all it's quite an affl- affluent area I'm going to guess because they're all detached properties there's quite a lot of space nice um, yeah and boulevards. the typical lot yeah nice boulevards yeah. for sure like wide, wide streets with sort of like central um, yeah central boulevards and then um, 
the lot sizes there are quite big. Like that's not typical for downtown Toronto. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of work in downtown Toronto and typical of that is sort of these like long, narrow lots. So you get a mm-hmm. lot of like 20 feet wide by, you know, 120 feet deep. Shalmar is like 50 by 150. So it's like, yeah. it's a biggie. And and this house, it's something different, isn't it, for the area? Because one thing I noticed is as soon as you kind of zoom in on Google Earth, you're having a look, all the houses similar format and a pitched roof and then suddenly bam there's this one kind of box of, with a flat roof it's different to everything around it 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 is it, it's you know so because it was a reno i think that area you know and not dissimilar to a lot of areas in toronto like was built probably by you know a developer at some point and a lot of the houses kind of take on similar uh form there are some pretty contemporary little, you know, nodes in that neighborhood. But Shalmar, because it was a reno, is a total, like, business in the front, party in the back situation. So that elevation that you've seen is actually the rear elevation. Yeah. Um, and then the front elevation is, you know, we've we've modernized it a little bit. Um, but we did keep, you know, we did keep the pitch roof on the front. And uh, it's not as loud of a, like holy shit this is a different thing um, yeah can i swear on this i'm so sorry yeah it's fine i i have to i have to click a button that says explicit content when i publish <laughs> this, it this is an explicit <laughs> interview for sure it's gonna be okay um yeah so so shalmar is like it's you know they i think the clients felt like okay let's really go for it in the back and and yeah um and so we did <laughs> but that's not is it a common thing for this this area or is this 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 is still a property that that stands out i mean you, you mentioned it's sort of subtle from the front but it's it's clear it's somebody doing something quite different to the norm in that area yes yes and and you know i think yeah there's like i said there's sort of like a few you know contemporary houses that are sprinkled in these more affluent areas and i think yeah. that's also pretty common like mm. you know I don't know if it's a North, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that it's a North American thing. Um, but, but it's certainly a Toronto thing. Like there's a lot of reserved, you know, people are more architecturally reserved. And I think you see that not just in the residential work that exists here, but also in, you know, the public work and, um, you know, we just, our appetite for, uh, new and interesting is, um, you know, some of us have that appetite and it's slowly starting to present itself, but it, you know, you, sometimes people will be like, oh, I'm worried about, you know, it's very Canadian. Like I'm worried about what other people are going to think, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be too loud. I don't want to be that house on the street or whatever. Right. So, yeah. um, so it is not as common. Um, but, mm-hmm. but that's actually like a, you know, that's, that's kind of why when we meet clients, um, you know, it's sort of, the interview kind of goes both ways. Like they're like, who are you guys? And we're kind of like, well, who are you? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you want to make sure that it's a fit both ways in terms of, you know, appetite for experimentation. Yeah. And what, what, what are these clients like in terms of their appetite? And what was that, what was that chat like when you were finding out about them? Oh my goodness. They, um, I have to say, I mean, I say this about many of my clients because our clients, because, um, you know, it's such an intimate working relationship. Like you, 
you know, you, you start one day just kind of chatting and then the next thing you know, you're like, tell me about everything about how you live and you're finding out these super intimate details about them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and then two years later, you're like, okay, we're done now. And all, by, in that time, you've just become, you know, family essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but so these clients were great. Um, are great still. Um, you know, sometimes they kind of message us about, uh, fantasies about the, you know, should we, should we do a cottage together? And they, the reason, yeah. one of the reasons that they were so great and that that project was so great is because their appetite for experimentation was very much like, we know what we know and we love what you guys do. So we're just going to take a step back and let you mm-hmm. run with it. And there were certain things, like there were moments, and I'm sure we'll talk about the island because that is a, definitely mm-hmm. a piece in that project. Um, but, you know, there were islands, I re- or islands, there were moments that I remember um, the client saying, you know, we want to have seating at the island, right? We want to have yeah. schools at the island, like, you know, a pretty typical request. And... Yeah. Uh, Andrew and I were like, no, <laughs> you can't have that. Um, and she was like, okay, okay. And that was fun because, you know, it, we're definitely not to say like, we're the kind of architects that are going to tell you, no, you can't have what you want. Yeah. But I think that often people will say, you know, I want X, Y, and Z. And what we hear is, okay, but how do you live? Like, why do you want mm. that? Why do you think you want that? And could I give you that in a different way? You know, if you mm-hmm. want a space to have, you know, um, whatever, a space to entertain or a space to have an open kitchen because you want to be doing whatever you're doing in the kitchen. Like, do you need somebody right at the island or have you just seen that before and therefore you think you want it, but maybe we'll do it slightly differently and we'll, yeah. you know, flip your couch around and have everybody relaxing on the couch while you're cooking. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so those kinds of conversations they were really open to, um, and that I think that that experimentation and that trust, like I can't say enough that a client having that level of trust in you really ultimately yields the strongest projects that we've done for sure. So so speaking of that trust, these clients clearly knew you and your practice that you, you formed with with Andrew Hill as well. So it's, it's the other kind of co-director of the practice. Um, you've you've clearly got a strong reputation or that that sort of reputation preceded them contacting you what do you think it is about your work that that made them already sort of have that trust in appointing you what's what are you kind of known for big question wish you would have (laughs) sent this to me beforehand Um, (laughs) um you know i think our projects are contemporary and different but they're inviting and um, and memorable. And I guess what I would say is that most of the projects have some sort of like identity to them. And that is achieved. Like there's a, there's an architectural thesis behind each one. Um, and whether or not people who are not architects realize it, I think the experience of space and the experience of the imagery, um, really comes through in that. So every project that we approach has you know the big idea and that also helps us 
with our team as we're developing it, like, does this fit into that big idea or not? Right. It's mm-hmm. like we kind of early on set up the rules and then everybody knows how to play the game because those rules are on the table. Um, yeah. I think what that translates to in the world of, you know, architectural imagery and how clients would maybe see our work is there's an identity to it. And so therefore, you know, they're like, Oh, that's the one with the floating boxes or that's the one Mm -hmm. with, um, you know, the, the iconic bed box with, uh, you know, our, one of our earliest projects was, um, it was a a bachelor apartment and we put, we inserted this little bed box with an arch, um, we called it a bed box because that's what it was as opposed to a bedroom. Um, and, uh, and, and it had this, like this iconic image to it. Um, and so I think that really resonates with people like, oh, I, I, you know, I want that because it's, it's identifiable and memorable. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get onto that. Cause I, to talk about the, you're talking about the big idea with each project. And <clears throat> I want to talk about that with this house in particular, <clears throat> before we go on to that, just what was what was your brief here? What did they come to you with? So they they wanted to work with you. You clearly wanted to work with them. Next step, what were they asking for? Okay, so they they had been living in this house for about 15 years. Um, and they just moved in and they didn't touch it. So when we came to the house, they were so funny. They were like, we've been living here for 15 years. We hate everything about it. And every year we hate it more and more. <clears throat> And we were like, okay, interesting. Um, and it was just, you know, it was just an older home. It wasn't terrible, but the, you know, the layout as is typical of older homes was a little bit more segregated, smaller rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but a huge part of this client's life and the brief um, was that this client has a really active interest in their art collection. Um, and so in addition to their sort of spatial requirements, they also have three kids. Um, so they're, you know, a, a bigger family. And so they wanted the space for their kids to live in. Um, so a livable home, but a canvas for their gallery, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really it. That was honestly it. It was like, sure, yeah, we need bedrooms. We need this. We need that. But it was really loose. It was you know, it needs to be livable, but our biggest thing is our art collection and how we want to grow our art collection. And, um, you know, how can we showcase that and how can this art, how can this house be a sort of vessel for that? Mm -hmm. And immediately Andrew and I were like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You already know. So it's starting off already on a sort of good footing with that brief. And so did you, did you have a look at this art was what sort of what is what was their art collection like and did was that part of the process to sort of find out about that and understand it yes totally um and well first of all the art existed in their old house and it was such Mm -hmm. an interesting juxtaposition because the art was so contemporary and um and you know well curated but the house had just kind of been a house that they didn't create around the art. So it was a juxtaposition between this Mm -hmm. incredible art collection, just kind of existing in this, you know, more typical home, Mm -hmm. Um, which in itself was actually honestly beautiful. Um, Their art collection, they have a lot of Canadian 
artists, um, which is interesting. They're, you know, they're very like when they see something that they like, they just kind of go for it. It's not like, Oh, well, it's a so-and-so, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they do have a beautiful art collection and it's, um, since then and since since you know our relationship has has become so strong like every now and then um you know I'll still message with them about a new piece that they got or a show that's on in Toronto and since then um one of the main photos that we have of Shalmar has these two beautiful um sculpture busts one of them is black and one of them is white um and that is a local artist her name's Goja and since then I've also purchased a piece and I've gotten one for my mother and it's just like yeah. her work is amazing. And every, literally every time this client like gets something new, I'm like, I'm like, who, who is that? <laughs> where, where can I find that work? I love that part of the, of the job of, for me, like going around to people's houses a lot and usually people with, you know, they're talking to me, so they have good taste is what I'm going to say, but they, but you know, <laughs> just, sure. the, <laughs> but you go, you go in and they have this beautiful art and I'm constantly coming back. Literally yesterday I went to a house and I came back with my wife. I was like, we've got to get a print by this artist. It's amazing. It's oh a gosh, constant sure. introduction to these amazing things. Equally, it's, it's cruel as well because it's so tempting because you're seeing it all the time. And, uh, Oh yeah. And half the time, half the time my clients can afford stuff that I'm just like, that's nice. I'll have to just spend your money and put it more in your place. Um, but I do have to say that, um, I think that's also a huge part of our practice and our work. Mm. Like we are so excited by the client being as much, um, you know, much as much a part of the context, obviously, as as the physical context and learning about people and whether it's an art collection or a book collection mm-hmm. or a passion for cooking or, you know, whatever the case may be like, that's always so critical to the brief early on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we'll just have a casual conversation with people instead of saying, like, well, what do you want your house to be? Because we don't want to be that prescriptive. We just want to know who they are and then taking inspiration from that. And mm-hmm. Shalmar is unique because it, it was such a physical collection of, of stuff. Um, but we have had clients in the past, like we, our 40 Beaconsfield project was a beautiful project that, um, the client, her son, um, was a diabetic and she became really passionate about cooking, um, you know, keto friendly and, and low mm-hmm. carb, low sugar stuff. And we actually curated that kitchen so that she could film YouTube videos of her making the food. And so like, there's just, mm. you know, there's like details and anecdotes about people's life that, um, present themselves physically in architecture. And that connection between people and architecture is really like, you know, such a critical element of like the passion of the work. And did any of their artwork come with specific briefs in itself? So like the two busts that you mentioned that sit in the middle of the, in the the kind of main lounge, was there anything where they were saying this piece needs to be away from daylight? This piece needs to be like this, or was it very open-ended? No, it was really open-ended. And I remember, uh, so we documented all of the work that they had, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we did create sort of like one main gallery, but then there were areas where everything was going to be sprinkled in. And, um, there were some parts of the house that it was, okay, this is for this piece. But the idea was very much like a gallery where their art collection will continue to change and grow. And so today they might have, you know, these two pieces side by side on this wall, but you know, they, 
may go somewhere and fall in love with, you know, an eight foot canvas and want to bring it home and that's the wall for it. So the idea wasn't as specific in all areas that this is where this has to go. It's okay. Well, this is, this is where it is today. And then, you know, how do you create something that could accept change in the future? Um, and, and that was also another really fun part because that when the project was finished, um, we went over and, you know, got to pick where everything went. And, um, they were also really open to that. I, I, we only had, we only had one dispute about one mm-hmm. piece of art. <laughs> and I think it was that I wanted to see the Andy Warhol, like right from the entry. And, um, there was some debate about whether it's too colorful or whether it wanted uh-huh. to be somewhere else. That, that is a lot of trust, isn't it? That they're, they're putting in you. That's fantastic. It was, it was, it, it was. Mm-hmm. And so we talked then just a bit earlier about the big idea on your project. What would you say then was it when you were in design process, once you'd kind of assimilated brief a little bit, what was the big idea here? The big idea was about creating a home. And I have to emphasize the word home because the family and the kids, like it, it the brief was not about creating a gallery. It was creating mm-hmm. a livable gallery space. So um, a place that very much felt like a home, but you know, was also, um, a gallery and, and how you can, you know, make things that are, how do I say this? How you can take something that is, you know, fancy, um, Mm. but not have it feel untouchable. So Mm -hmm. I think Shalmar in a sense is very curated, mind the pun, um, (laughs) but not untouchable. And that, that was sort of the crux. And then of course, you know, it was an existing house. So it was sort of like, okay, let's work with what we have, um, you know, and, and renovate in a sort of not necessarily carte blanche way. Yeah. So this is a renovation then this project. I hadn't appreciated that. I, I I actually, does it make you appreciate it more? Yeah. And I thought (laughs) it was, I thought it was a new build. Um, so that's, so you're adapting, this is a, I'm assuming must be, I haven't seen pictures of what the house might have looked like before, but actually it'd be great to, to share I some of those listeners. Um, but I'm assuming this is a complete overhaul transformation. So what were the challenges with, with doing that? Because obviously you've got to keep a lot of elements and you've got to work around them. What, what made it difficult to achieve the, I'm going to use a quote of yours actually that I picked up. That I liked of creating a house disguised as a gallery. I quite liked that. Um, <laughs> what, what were the challenges then working with an existing building to do that? Well, I, okay. First I have to say that I think there were many a conversation where Andrew and I tried to push them into doing a new build. And mm-hmm. um, that's one area where they were a little stubborn. <laughs> so why was that? Why didn't I, they want to? I I mean, it's a good question. You know, I'd love to get them on here to, in hindsight, (laughs) discuss that. Um, I I think it was sort of fears of cost escalation, but the, you know, what we come up with, come up against, (laughs) um, what we come up against often is, um, you know, with renovations, the challenge is sometimes you open a wall and you don't necessarily appreciate what you're going to get in there. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, our ability to forecast construction costs, um, and timing on a new build is much better than on, Mm -hmm. um, than on renovation. You have to have some flexibility in terms of your sort of contingency budget and, you know, 
And then, of course, there's sort of a level of flexibility that you can have with a new build and there's some constraints with um, a renovation. And so, you know, like I said, there's, you know, the we, we did leave the existing roof. We did an addition on the rear. So there's some elements of the house that are new. Um, mm-hmm. but really it's, it's sort of like an interior gut that, and we blew off the back and extended. Um, so actually the staircase location is existing. Um, and that layout is sort of, you enter into a kind of s- sort of central lobby with the stair to one side. And then, um, in the new layout it, program kind of flanks either side. So you get the sort of living area, um, and the, you know, mud room and kind of back of house kitchen. And then, um, bisecting the house is this kind of central spine, um, that kind of says, okay, on one side of it is like, you know, maybe more of the kid zone or the sort of working space. So, you know, mud rooms, bathrooms, the, you know, the, the big, big couch TV room, all that stuff. Then you kind of pass through this sort of central spine and that's where you get the kitchen proper and the sitting area and the dining area. Um, and all of that part after the spine was new. I really like that central spine as well. So it goes across the middle of the building and you go through it. It's kind of like an arcade, isn't it? There's three, four arches that you walk through and each of the sides are storage for the like storage units for the kitchen or something but it's a very yeah and they're and they're sort of two-sided they kind of act yeah. as these sort of totems that like march along the house to divide up program um in the house without mm-hmm. necessarily introducing walls so they kind of flank the dining room and the kitchen and i think they introduce it they the seem a bit like a kind of gallery design like going back to the kind of art um kind of context but they really bring a scale to the house that's this weird zone between sort of not being domestic almost because it's such a grand gesture across the back, but it's also very practical because it serves as the back of the kitchen. I'm assuming, well, there's ovens and things in there, but fridge freezers and, and hob sure. and all, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost like the, uh, you know, in a typical house, you would just have walls and in this house you have like programmatic totems, mm-hmm. right? So it's, uh, it, they are kind of sculptural in nature and the way that that, um, you know, the, the way that we designed that millwork was to sort of act as these kind of totems that sit underneath this bulkhead as, you know, mm-hmm. as, as sculptures almost. They're sort of independent. And is that spine doing anything practical? Is that the back of the old building or is, it, is there anything hidden inside that? Yes, that's, uh, we definitely, there's, everything's hidden in there. <laughs> it's all the, yeah. uh, there's some structure in there and, uh, you know, HVAC and, and plumbing lines and all of that stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's double duty, triple duty. is a curated house in the sense that it's it's very simple very elegant in terms of the spaces you've created which is why I was fooled into thinking it was a a new build for that very reason but simple and elegant always comes at uh, a cost it must have been a challenge to achieve that what what were the challenges of creating somewhere that appears so simple well first of all I have to say that our 
build partner on that project um, was definitely a very, very, very meticulous individual. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things that we did on that project was we, because the space is so simple, we actually put the wood flooring on the ceiling um, on one side of the spine. So on the like mm -hmm. formal side of the spine, um, we have the wood ceiling. And because it was a renovation, you know, nothing was perfect. And there are reveals. And um, I remember James, our, our GC, was telling me about them, you know, the guys on site scribing the wood <laughs> to mm -hmm. get it just ever so perfect. Um, and it looks effortless, but it was very much the opposite of that mm -hmm. um, to achieve. So I think, you know, the challenges of making something so simple um, is really about creating very clear spatial divides without necessarily obvious wall structures. That was mm -hmm. how, what we did in this project. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the kitchen layout, which mm -hmm. is quite atypical, um, and using objects, whether they were the totem or the island, as a way to define space. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I actually... So, so uh, that island um, is, was not... We didn't start there. We, um, mm -hmm. you know, we had this kind of more, more typical, but still very sculptural island concept. Um, and we were sitting around the studio one day and um, talking about this project and its relationship to art and our favorite artists and all these things. And um, Andrew actually sketched up a version of this island very much inspired by um, Donald Judd's work. Mm -hmm. uh, and we really got to talking about like the meaning behind that. One, because it was so cheeky and we thought like, is she going to go for this? I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point I actually was like, maybe it's not an island. Maybe it's just four cubes. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, maybe she'll use that. Like, could we convince them to be at so uh, eccentric? Um, which we didn't. <laughs> there is like a, a proper, there's a proper countertop on that. Um, but, uh, um, but it did come up. We kind of went through all these iterations and I, um, you know what I, what I, love so much about that being this piece of sculpture that delineates space. Um, first of all, when you take out all of the, you know, furniture and the items that make a house a home, it does feel like a sculpture in the middle of the gallery. Um, but, but what I love is that, you know, Judd was very, uh, you know, he, he was sort of known for like autonomy and, clarity in you know the the constructed object and the space mm -hmm. that that is created around it that's like his you know that's his thing and mm -hmm. uh you know while he definitely did say that the scale of art cannot be transposed into furniture or architecture uh you know i think we we sort of were like well let's kind of challenge that notion because i i mm -hmm. think this idea that objects themselves um influence the space around them that's very much what Shalmar is it's, mm -hmm. it's a, a series of objects together that create a home and um and that was a that was sort of a departure of the design work of this of that house and that's the the, the part you're describing is the the kitchen island that's in the, the backspace facing onto the garden and mm -hmm. it's constructed of these four 
gray cubes. I don't know the name of the the piece or the range of pieces that Donald Judd did. That was, I mean, he's done a few, hasn't he, of metallic ones, but it's taking exactly the same proportions. They're big, what, meter, if not more, um, sized cubes. And they form the island that then there's the white countertop. Um, yeah. Now you meant you took you had a quote there of um, of Donald Judd sort of talking about the art and um, not kind of transcribing it to sort of domestic um, use. What do you think he would make of this in terms of of this kind of adaptation of of his work into something so domestic? Well, I don't know. You know, I like I would I would I'd love to bend his ear on it because um, you know he, his thing is that art cannot be transposed into furniture or architecture because of the scale. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he says that the intent of art is different than the intent of furniture or architecture because by nature, furniture and architecture has to be functional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would just, de- I would just debate that because I think that furniture and architecture can be sculptural. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, by definition, it can be artful. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't want to make him angry because he is, you know, he's up there with, mm-hmm. <laughs> with some pretty important people. Um, but I think that taking inspiration from people is, you know, is, is how we experiment and grow. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, his comment is really about, um, you know, like a successful chair is artful if it's like the most comfortable thing and Mm -hmm. if it's the most, you know, um, and it, and so like a chair should be a chair and art should be art. Um, but I think Mm -hmm. as architects, you know, that appreciate furniture and chairs and many architects that design, you know, the perfect chair, like we sort of beg to differ because what we Mm -hmm. do kind of teeters the line of functional art at all times. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's also be fair. Like Donald Judd can't uh, lay claim to a cube. We're allowed for sure, to. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, but it's a, it is a very interesting debate of you know going through you know architecture school and and sort of training. There's you know I kind of grew up learning the sort of trade and the skill as sort of as really thinking it's actually one of the most challenging arts because it's to design. You've got to design a beautiful house, but that beautiful house has to have a toilet waste pipe in it somewhere as well and for sure, for sure. you know that's the that's why i think this house is is kind of very interesting when we talk about it as this house disguised as as a gallery because you've got there's there's so many other hidden things at play for example this island the donald judd inspired island you've got a sink in it and it's got to have waste coming uh, you know water waste coming through and, and all the other sort of and it's got to function as an island that they can use as a family and mm-hmm. you but, touch that they, it, but that they cannot sit at <laughs> but they can't sit at, and that's what I wanted to ask about. So these cubes, um, you can't sit at them. So how? What's the idea and thinking behind the sort of? Is it very much a visual play, or did you imagine how they might be um, used as a space, as a as a piece of furniture? Well, it is. It, okay, so it is a visual play, but you know, it's one thing to just look at the island as its own thing, but it's another thing to sort of consider the plan and how it exists around that, right? So, um, you know, you can't sit at the island in the sort of traditional sense of having a stool at the island because there is no overhang. Um, But directly adjacent to the island is a kind of modular couch setup that, um, you know, in the plan we had debated, like, 
well, do you want to be looking out the window onto the sort of the garden or do Mm -hmm. you want to be turning around and looking at your art and looking at your family and, you know, watching the activity of the house? And so how do you create a kind of setup that allows you at any given moment to do either thing? Um, Mm -hmm. And so we created this, you know, living room zone that is kind of modular in that sense and, um, and has this has this pink couch and the design of that pink couch um, is such that it almost looks like um, it almost looks like these sort of oversized cushions that are sitting on a white plinth and yeah. that white plinth is kind of movable. So you can, um, you know, the layout of how you would organize that couch. I mean, not that they really move their furniture around every day, but they could mm-hmm. theoretically. Um, yeah. And so that kind of allows them to, you know, interact with the island or interact with the gallery in different ways. And then in this space, you've got, as you mentioned, the floor, the timber floor, and then the timber on the ceiling as well, completely matching, which (laughs) works amazing in this space. If you were to propose that to someone, if you're supposed to suggest it, it's not the normal thing to do, is it? To to completely no. copy what's on the floor and on the ceiling. Is that something you've done before? Is what's what was the, the thinking behind it? Because it works. What you know, whatever the thinking was, it looks great. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I think in this case, what what mirroring the wood on the ceiling does is it sort of creates a kind of viewing portal that really mm-hmm. makes the white walls, the gallery walls, kind of come into focus, right? So it sort of creates a datum above and below yep. that allows you to kind of zoom in on the artwork. Um, and it works here. It And it works here because everything else is kind of white, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you don't feel like you've got the wood floor and the wood ceiling and then, you know, millwork that's another color. And it's really just that's it. And it's used as kind of a, like a focal emphasis. Mm-hmm. And you've definitely got that, like in there's that one dining space where it's this kind of tunnel framed view right at the end um, mm-hmm. in the shot that I can see there's snow outside and it's that the view is like another piece of artwork um, within the space. But I thought this, what I'm interested in with this house as well is the functionality of it in the sense that when you look at the plan and when you look at the, the living space, there's two dining tables um, and very big, generous dining tables, like 10 seaters was there another sort of performance to this building in terms of it as a gallery for people coming round, or do they just like to throw a lot of dinner parties kind of two at the same time you know that's so funny that you bring that up because we we debated the two tables um Mm -hmm. because really i mean especially when you look at it in plan um they're like adjacent to each other (laughs) divided by one gallery wall but when you're in the space one of them is much more formal than the other. One of them feels like the dining room. And then the other mm-hmm. one feels like it's a part of the kitchen. It's part of that interaction with the island. It becomes the seating at the island, the sort of casual, you know, homework table. Um, yeah. And we also did, you know, the the chairs. There's an image of the chairs on, on that more casual um, dining side. And the chairs are kind of a gradient. And so that's sort of like a playful uh, take on the furniture in this house as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to this client wanting a very livable space for their family, they also have a kind of large extended family. Um, so they will you know, have their siblings and their kids and their parents over for big dinners. Um, and that was something that came up 
a lot. The flexibility yeah. of, okay, can we have, you know, if we had a 30 person Passover Seder, could we have the kids sitting somewhere and the adults sitting somewhere and, you know, or could we extend this table and be able to like, what's the flexibility? And so, um, that's how we kind of handled that by saying like, you can be adjacent, but not necessarily creating, you know, a dining room that's going to seat 30 people for the three times a year that you're going to do that yeah. um, and have that take up 50% of your house. Yeah. And you've kind of shielded that space from the main space with this kind of floating gallery wall, which is something I think you've used to really good effect in a lot of the spaces, even upstairs in the bedrooms where there's walls and partitions, but they don't touch the outside walls of the house. So the mm -hmm. w sometimes the windows seem to go beyond the width of the of the room or the space that you're in and and, and making it feel bigger um so, but so view and is playing a kind of really key part here as well as well as the artwork that it's kind of designed to locate how did you sort of play with with view and window openings on on this project um i just want to say that i i love the way that you put that about the the walls not extending um because mm -hmm. that was something that i think also helped in you know, we talked about the totems um, that existed on the spine as being elements to kind of, um, you know, delineate space and in locations where, okay, you know, this still is a residential house, we are going to put a wall, how do you treat that wall to also objectify it? And so that that tactic um, that exists in the primary bedroom, and there's a closet on one side, and a bed on the other side, um, you know, that, that also helps kind of mm. create that gallery feel. In terms of the views, I mean, we were really lucky because they, their backyard, which is quite mega, also looks out onto this beautiful belt line, which is just mature trees and lush, lush, lush greenery. So um, at any given point um, upstairs, we've sort of created these kind of picture windows that are a little bit more horizontal. Um actually quite a bit more horizontal. And so you mm -hmm. look out and you're just in the canopy of the trees. So you get, you know, your wood floors and your white gallery walls and just greenery, um, mm -hmm. which, which is quite poetic. Um, and then on the main floor, we just had these massive lift and slide window openings, but also, um, you know, framed in this way where there's still like a very solid um, central kind of, partition between you know big sliding door big solid partition mm -hmm. and then another sort of large glass opening and so what that kind of does is it tries to create like these windows are actually like framed views and so in addition they're sort of another piece of art and they're, they're very classic kind of modernism aren't they these windows like corbusier style of villa savoir i'm thinking of the, the sort of long horizontal yeah, windows rib, they must ribbon. be bringing mm -hmm. a lot of was there a reason for choosing that? Because I imagine it brings a lot of light in. That type of window does, it's great for kind of daylight in the space. We were quite generous with the windows on the rear because the house, the, the backside of the house where we have those windows is, is north facing. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's just the context, right? So it's mostly in shade. And so we mm -hmm. wanted to really kind of, you know, extend those openings and bring a lot of natural light into the house. Mm -hmm. The windows on the front of the house on the south side are all existing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a real sort of contrast. What was the term you used for 
Is it party house at the back and oh, biz, the biz, business in the front, party in the back? It's a business mullet. in the front, party <laughs> in the back. Because another through doing this podcast, you learn various things of people speaking of different architects around the world. But have you heard of mullet <laughs> architecture as well? Is a kind of the same yeah, thing of like short is, at the yeah. front and sort of long at the back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, so another reference point that I've sort of picked up, I don't know from where actually, but reading an article somewhere about the project, but it was about the artist Agnes Martin as well, as well as Donald Judd that we've talked about, but Agnes mm-hmm. Martin being um, an influence on this work and on this project. Maybe could you tell me a little bit um, about that? And also maybe people that aren't familiar with her work as well of what, you know, what kind of work we're talking about. Okay. Well, I, for those of everybody, the listeners that can't see me, but I'm smiling right now because I, I, Agnes Martin is one of my favorites and, um, she's actually also Canadian. Um, and she is a minimalist, super mega minimalist, uh, artist. And her work is often, um, you know, often characterized, I mean, she has, she has a lot of work, but is often characterized by kind of repetition, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of repetition, a lot of linear repetition. Sometimes it's grid-like, sometimes it's um, at different scales, but much of what it is about is creating this sort of serenity in the repetition. Um, so you sort of, you know, her canvases are large and you sit and you look at it and you just feel a sense of calmness, um, you know, sometimes like a sunset or, you know, this kind of feeling of slowness. Um, and, you know, she has a really incredible life story that her life was actually quite difficult. And so um, I think, you know, people that create art to try to achieve you know, something beyond what their daily experience is, um, is, is really inspiring. And, um, you know, she's definitely one of those people. Um, but that inspiration of Agnes Martin actually, um, is, it's sort of a stretch, but on one of the walls, and this came up again later in the design, um, after we had sort of established that this was going to be a gallery. And what was fun about this project was that we had established that it was a gallery and there was an existing art collection. And then, um, you know, and then there were moments in the studio, like the, you know, like, like Andrew's Judd Island. And then, you know, later on this, this, um, you know, this influence of the Agnes Martin wall, um, basically the client sort of kept saying like, I, I need more storage. I need more storage. And, and, um, which is definitely a sentiment that we hear all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a preoccupation with that long wall, um, being an art wall because it was one of the major walls. Um, and it, but it also was really the only opportunity left for more storage. And so, um, so we proposed sort of routering out the millwork on that wall to have this repetition, this like vertical linear repetition along that wall, which would conceal the cabinetry, but also create a texture that was inspired by the, you know, ideologies behind Agnes Martin's work. And mm-hmm. that came up later. And I, I loved that development because it's, um, you know, it's architectural, but it's also, um, it's sort of sensorial. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, you, you kind of, it exists in the space, um, but it's not a focal point. It's just Mm -hmm. kind of, it's just sort of there to assist. And I love that. 
But it really adds to the composition of the space, doesn't it? We're talking about the flank wall. So if you were stood at the kitchen island facing out to the garden, it's the wall on your right running mm-hmm. that full length behind these pink sofas. And if it had been a wall for art, it would be a big sort of blank white wall, obviously with lovely artwork on there. But here that texture really helps soften the space somehow, I think, doesn't it? And um, Absolutely. And, and that yeah. is also a challenge too with... Um, you know, gallery space because you want the pieces on either side to speak to each other. So mm-hmm. in a way there was a challenge, like, should that have been a white wall? Like what are the right pieces for that wall? And, you know, how does it mm-hmm. not compete with the view? So how can we make it minimalist enough? And, you know, short of telling them that they had to go out and buy some Agnes Martin pieces, which <laughs> would have probably cost more than the house itself. Um, I, you know, we were like, okay, let's, how can we take that inspiration? And that's, mm-hmm. that is kind of a similar draw that we, that, you know, we did with the Island. It was okay. Mm-hmm. Who are, you know, artists that have inspired our architectural understanding of art mm-hmm. and space. And, you know, how can we kind of play with those really important concepts that they've, studied in their life's work and uh, Mm -hmm. use it to inspire ours. Did you have any kind of during design development, were there any kind of strange ones that didn't quite make the cut that were an interpretation of another artist? Mm, No, but I wish we did. (laughs) Um, I I have to say the the island was was the one that we spent a lot of time getting right. Um, Because I, I remember in that conversation um you know debating like whether like could it just be a non-island like could it just be four cubes and i was like totally even though that you know if you think about how inconvenient that would be for an island like to just have like you know voids every couple of feet in the island and then you'd have to like clean them off and there would be crumbs or you know whatever you get like tomato sauce like rolling down the inside of one and you have to mm-hmm. be like can someone with a skinny arm come and clean this like anyway it was, it was completely it was completely ridiculous but you kind of have to go there in order to sort of come back and say okay how can you make that a little bit less ridiculous <laughs> mm-hmm. and so with it, like the house in occupation now i don't know how long the clients have been living there for but how's it adapted to to family life and have you managed have you been able to sort of follow that much yeah so I actually was looking before we got on this call to see like we started that project at the very end of 2017 um Mm -hmm. and they would have moved in not they would have moved in in 2019 like you know a bit before all this Mm -hmm. covid um yeah world changing lifestyles. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's held up. Like, I think they have felt, first of all, at a time when we're all spending so much time in our homes, um, they were extra grateful to be in that Mm. space. Um, I think some of the sort of secondary spaces creating that kind of main gallery space and then having like a secondary sort of working kitchen or the, you know, the living room that, uh, you know, gets to be, um, you know, a little messier with the blankets all over the place like that sort of it's all kind of partitioned off. So I think it like helps for them to sort of, you know, maintain sanity. They also did get a dog, very cute Mm -hmm. dog named Jasper. And, um, one of the things that I 
appreciated last time I went to visit was that um, the dog is not allowed on the pink couch, but the dog and the dog knows that. Um, so the the coffee table in front of the pink couch is just a a, a marble plinth. Mm-hmm. And the dog just sits on the marble plinth like that's his thing. And it's the size of the dog. And he sits there like a perfect sculpture on a plinth. It's like equal parts adorable and performance art. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and have they done much? Have they done any sort of jigging around of some of the artwork? Because you said that you you were able to kind of lay it out and decide where things went initially. No, they I they they. They had, they have gotten a new piece, um, but they're pretty like, they'll message, they'll message us and say like, what do you think of this? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we love that, you know, we, even in just a friendly way, not like, uh, we don't want to upset the architects. Um, yeah. but just sort of, you know, they value our opinion and, and we, like I said, most of our clients I mean, all of our clients have become very good friends. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we are in touch with our clients all the time. And, you know, so at this point, you know, well after a project, it's now just sort of, you know, friendly advice. And, um, so they've gotten new art. They've, they were sort of, yeah, they're kind of toying with little things here and there that they'll, they'll message us about. And I think the backyard was, was a piece that we didn't, photograph as intensely because at the time that we took the photographs the backyard wasn't quite complete but it is actually um a really well curated garden and then they have like a sport court in the backyard for the kids that's like Mm -hmm. sort of a little basketball court thing um and i also think that that had developed further um during covid obviously Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they were like this is the greatest place ever for the dog and the kids and um and that area too is sort of like equal parts um you know beautiful and functional it has a a walkout so they the one thing that we hadn't talked about with the rear elevation which is that sort of the ribbon windows yeah has um a deck that comes off and this sort of natural landscape kind of falls away from the deck so the deck like cantilevers over top of a little kind of drop off that leads you toward the um the, the, the belt line, the park. And, um, on one side of that, we sort of dug out and created this sort of wide, uh, walk out to the basement. And I think that has given them some sanity and some divide between kids zone and adults. So you can get out, you can go via the basement into the garden, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's a strong statement that terrace, it's got sort of similar language to inside, um, the house at the kitchen island or with even with that floating coffee table that the dog Jasper sits on um, there's <laughs> shadow underneath it so it looks like the building from the back looks like this big heavy solid box floating above the ground a bit like a spaceship with a kind of the steps I would have called it a bit landing. like a sculpture <laughs> a bit like a sculpture um, but yeah that, I mean it, but it's, it's almost a kind of artistic statement in itself from the back I was going to ask what's, what's underneath there so there's, there is a basement and a kind of Part of it is an undercroft, though, quite a low undercroft, right, underneath the house. Uh, under, yeah. Under the, under, the ba- under the balcony bit. Yes, yes. And and yeah. actually, that, w- that was an interesting challenge, too, because I think, um, you know, obviously, so we're architects with interests in many things, and including, you know, materials and interiors and people and life and, and uh, the, you know, the interaction between architecture and nature. Um, and one of the, one of the ideas about having this, um, you know, rear deck kind of cantilever over the greenery was the love, this idea of this kind of rolling green hill just tucking under the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when it really came to it, 
it was sort of like, okay, well, we've got a north-facing facade and a very shady, you know, area underneath this, uh, under underneath the patio. So, you know, what's going to grow there? <laughs> and mm-hmm. all, not only what's going to grow, but what's not going to kind of, you know, fall off or, or, you know, start to, yeah, just start to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we, we worked with, um, we worked with the landscape architect to try to, to try to resolve that, um, in an interesting way. And so that's another thing that over time, you know, with a lot of our projects, sometimes you, you know, you begin this idea of a garden and, uh, you know, what I do love so much about gardens is they take on a life of their own and they are, you know, they're, they're an installation in themselves, but the timeline mm-hmm. is, is quite a bit longer, right? You've got to wait for the seasons and sometimes things don't mature for a few years. So we're mm-hmm. actually, you know, we're still watching that house and that garden kind of develop, which is lovely. Yeah. And there was, I noticed in the drawings, there is um, a little basketball court already drawn in there. So there were plans already afoot to be, to be doing what they've done. Yes. And that is, that is one thing that they, we had sort of insisted that the basketball court be green and it's mm-hmm. blue and gray. So you know, <laughs> we, can, we can talk to them about that decision. Later. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And have you learned anything from these clients just in, from working with them, working on their home and how you maybe you've sort of thought about your own home or how you live? Oh, I mean, you know, not to be, you know, too meta, but I, like, I think, you know, people come into your life in a, you know, personal and professional sense that kind of inspire the way that you see the world all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of how we work this, these clients were really incredible, um, you know, and and we've had other clients as well, but we Mm -hmm. are just talking about these ones today. For those of you that are listening, I love you all. Um, (laughs) but, but, uh, uh, with, in terms of trust, um, and so I do have to say like in other situations, I, I had renovated my house not too shortly after. And one of the things, um, you know, I, I just felt like, obviously, you know, I, was the designer of my own home but um (laughs) but in terms of when you get other people involved in any work that you're doing knowing that they know a little bit more than you do about whatever right and so um really putting your trust in the professionals that you bring into your life sometimes you know i it's easy for anybody, um, but I do think architects in particular to feel like we have the type of education and the type of experience that we are like generalists in a way. We know a little bit about everything, mm-hmm. or, or we think we do. Um, and so, um, but then there's always specialists that know a lot about one thing. And, um, you know, those people are equally important and to know that and to put your trust in those people. So I'm always reminded, like when I think about how important trust is from our clients and when I've had clients that, um, have shown that to us and have, you know, it has resulted in better projects, better relationships, better process, all of that. It's just such a reminder to me, like, you know what, Jen, you you don't know everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've got three questions now that I ask um, all my guests. Before I go on to those sort of final three questions, there's one 
one thing I wanted to ask you about, which was a quote that, uh, and again, a quote that I sort of picked up from from you or from your website um, recently, that you believe that good architecture can start much needed conversations within our cities. And I'd love to know what you think um, those much needed conversations are. So it's a bit more for a wider question away from Sharma residence, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, going back to kind of art and architecture and that relationship, architecture has such a important responsibility because you can choose to go to a gallery and see art, but you can't choose (laughs) to see architecture. It exists. It builds our cities. Um, And I think that that comment from our website, which is, you know, we spend a lot of time in the studio thinking about like, who do we want to be and what is the work that we want to do? And we do a lot of custom residential homes, um, but we also, you know, our interests are, um, you know, about community and building cities and building equity and, um, you know, architecture has the ability to do that. And in terms of starting much needed conversations, um, you know, I think ideas of public space and how, you know, how we approach public space and how we approach kind of division of, you know, you know, of, of, yeah, public and private and what's okay and where we want to invite people in and where we want to put up walls and barriers and gates and fences. Um, you know, I think that is in, in large part up to architects to inspire, um, connectivity and, um, you know, whether they're sort of residential conversations, like, you know, we do love the residential work that we do because it does allow us to experiment with concepts. Um, you know, if you have a really trusting client, Mm -hmm. but there's also a really big emphasis for us on work that is, you know, we, we recently, um, did some design work for, um, sort of like hypothetical design work for a safe house for human trafficking survivors. And, you know, often these projects, like they don't have great budgets, they can't afford excellent architecture. Um, but we're not about like, okay, well, we want to make this place just look really fabulous. We're more about like, well, what's the experience? And everybody deserves this moment of dignity, you know? And so, and how that makes somebody feel, um, and also how it makes the city feel. I mean, when you go to a great city and you feel like, oh, okay, it's lively and people are interacting, um, you know, that's, that's a different feeling and ultimately makes happier people. Mm -hmm. And do you think, um, private houses have a place in that discussion or do you think it's a very separate thing okay well I mean it's an interesting debate I I do think that they do and I have had these conversations before um you know about interaction like you know when we create these big windows that allow us to like see into each other's homes and sort of create this connectivity I think there's something there that creates this public connection, whether it's sort of, you know, whether you're outside kind of waving at your neighbors or you're just Mm -hmm. sort of inviting them and, you know, in through those moves, I think that is a part of that conversation. Um, But I also do think that single family residential homes are a unique um, architectural case study in a way and Mm -hmm. um they're not necessarily always the answer 
And, um, you know, I think in the past we've put a lot of emphasis on these like fantastic single family residential homes. Um, and you know, we studio AC was recently a part of working on a, on a condo and condo architecture often is, you know, people sort of look down on it. Like it's it's just this glass box or, you know, but thinking about the importance of density in the city and how you can create a condo that is, you know, one incredibly more sustainable in terms of like how we live. Um, but also like what's a condo layout that's not, you know, this sort of like shitty developer, like tiny little box in the sky, but feels like a place that a family can grow into. And like, why aren't we thinking more like that? Um, you know, at least in Toronto, like our housing stock is, you know, I mean, we, it's, it's very expensive. It's not, um, it's, it's almost like becoming unrealistic for, you know, millennials to imagine buying a house. Like it's, and it's not because they're not doing exactly the same thing that somebody was doing, you know, 20 years before. It's just the value of housing in Toronto has gone up so exponentially that it's getting harder and harder to afford it. Um, mm-hmm. So as architects, like, how do we help the conversation by not saying like, look, this is, this is the aspiration. Like how can we create sustainable, affordable, amazing experiences, residential experiences still that are, um, you know, just as coveted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jennifer, I'm going to ask you now (laughs) the three questions that I I ask all of my guests at the end of interviews. Um, and the first one is about you and your home. Do you live in Toronto? I do. You're in the app. So what is the one thing that really annoys you in your home? Uh, <laughs> it really annoys me. Um, For people that can't see, Jennifer is now looking around the room, finding something. <laughs> <laughs> like there's got to be something. I have to say, like I, I just moved into a new house. Um, and oh, it'd be a shame to be negative about it, but the, I know. I'm, gonna, and I'm, I'm like, still going <laughs> to make you find something. I know. Okay. Well, um, like I guess. I guess that it, well, this is, this is not, it's not, okay, here's, here's what I'll say. Um, I live in a semi-detached home, so I'm attached to my neighbor, who I am so lucky because I love her and her family. I really mean that. Even if they weren't listening, I would have said that. Um, (laughs) But my house is on the north side of the semi, and Often I think about, I I have like a window on the north side also that just like, you know, it's a big window, but I, I, if I were to do this again, I think I would be more particular about the location of like being on the south side or like the location of the sun, because those are things you just can't change. So anything in my house that, you know, I could have done better, I hope that I would have and you know, maybe now I'm going to go around with like a magnifying glass being like, what do I hate about this place? Um, and of course there's like little things, you know, my basement is much colder than my second floor all the time. And that's just like what it is, but that's not a very exciting answer. Anyway, the sun is a thing that I would say is, um, the sun is the thing that I would say, I, I, I wish I could change and I know that I can't. <laughs> yeah. And then if you could describe one house that you've visited that has really inspired you and describe why. I have to have visited it or can I have like visited it on Google earth? I've visited a house that I have visited that really inspired me. 
You well, can also tell me the Google Earth one as well after, but I okay. definitely want the one you visited. <laughs> Um, okay, so I, myself and Andrew, my business partner, we both went to Dalhousie, um, which is in Halifax. And we were taught by a lot of um, incredible instructors, one of which was Brian McKay Lyons, who is an architect um, in Halifax. And um, he has a property in Kingsburg, Nova Scotia. It's like a big farm, and there are um, like sheep and horses and I'm sure he's got other animals now too. I don't even know. Anyway, he has a bunch of buildings, a bunch of residential houses, a bunch of kind of studio buildings and outbuildings um, on that property, all of which I have visited. And, um, you know, architecture school was inspiring for a million reasons, but being in those spaces, I think, um, especially because it was so early in my architectural education was probably like, you know, the most pivotal experience because his work, um, you know, he's sort of a critical regionalist, well, not sort of, he like he is. Um, (laughs) And the work is just equal parts, like, vast and impactful but also um you know subdued and simple and so it is just it's an inspiration to be in those places because it's artful mm-hmm. it's like um you know his his elevations are just you know they're like they're they're uh like a perfect composition um so i would say i would say probably those houses mm-hmm there's something very magical about those kind of early years of discovery when first training in architecture and because it's generally it's never something taught at school, so it's this first part of discovery. Yeah. Um, there was there was a documentary um, that I saw years ago about children that grew up in architecture, like that uh, lived in significant architectural homes, um, and I thought that was so fascinating because like imagine yeah. growing up in like an architecturally significant house and just kind of like that's just your norm. Yeah, you know, like that's a different experience. Mm. That's what I think about the kids that live in Shalmar. <laughs> new, po- new podcast series. Honestly. <laughs> um, and then finally, if you could choose any designer to design you a new home, who would you choose? <sighs> Another toughie. Okay, well, <sighs> can I pick Andrew Hill? He knows me so well. It would be perfect. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, well, there's that, but... Maybe he would do my city house and then my, um, my, my country house. Um, this is actually a good opportunity for me to say that, that the, uh, the house that I've only visited on Google Earth um, is a house by a Spanish architect, um, Campo Beza. And that house is called House of the Infinite. Um, and it's in Spain. And it's kind of like, um, I mean, it is the most magnificent house it's for sure my favorite house um mm-hmm. so he would he would design me that house but he but um it's it's a bit of landscape architecture in a way because it kind of sits on this hill and so it sort of juts out of the hill kind of like a jetty facing the sea mm-hmm. um anyway it's a magnificent piece of architecture and just the way that you enter into it it's sort of like you enter from the top like you enter from the roof of the house and you sort of step down into it because you're following the landscape um so that kind of connection of landscape and um you know site condition and architecture is just so 
full tilt. But I guess in order to achieve that, I'd also have to like get some dope property like on a cliff somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but what if we're imagining anyway? Then? Yep, totally fine. <laughs> Well, Jennifer, thank you very much for the interview today and for taking the time to speak to me. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you would like to find out more about Studio AC and the Shalmar residence, then please visit the website at anotherarchitecturepodcast.com try out the Instagram page to see the work of all my guests. If you have enjoyed listening to this episode, then please leave a review to help other people find the podcast. For another episode with an art-based theme, you might like to listen to my interview with the architect Ben Allen, who before setting up his studio spent many years working for the artist Olafur Eliasson. In the interview, we discuss his project House Recast. You can listen to episode 26 by visiting the Another Architecture Podcast website. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode, and thanks again for listening.